This is AFF On Air, the Australian Frequent Flyer podcast, bringing you the latest news, tips and tricks for Australian travellers. G'day and welcome to episode 29 of AFF On Air. I'm your host, Matt Graham, and this episode was released on Saturday the 8th of February 2020. In today's episode, I talk about a recent visit to the Airbus factory in Toulouse, where Airbus is currently building some of the last ever Airbus A380s that will be produced. And I chat to Victor Papkan, a pilot at Buffalo Airways, about flying in Canada's far north. You especially won't want to miss this interview if you're a fan of the TV show Ice Pilots NT. That's coming up later in the episode, but first here's what's making news in the world of airlines and frequent flyer points this fortnight. And Virgin Australia will end all flights to Hong Kong from next month. The airline already announced last year that it will end its flights from Melbourne to Hong Kong, with the last flight taking off next Monday. But the airline announced this week that it will also axe its other Hong Kong flight from Sydney, effective from the 2nd of March. Weak demand due to the ongoing protests in Hong Kong was blamed for the end of the Melbourne service, but the coronavirus outbreak and associated travel bans that have been put in place have created even more uncertainty and further reduced demand in the region. To top it all off, Virgin's partner Hong Kong Airlines, which Virgin has been relying on for connections to and from mainland China, is also on very shaky financial ground. Passengers booked on Virgin flights to Hong Kong up until the end of April will be offered alternative flights, although passengers booked to travel after May are only being offered a refund. Meanwhile, many airlines all around the world have either cancelled all flights to mainland China or cut back service uh, quite significantly over coming months due to the coronavirus outbreak. Qantas will suspend its flights from Sydney to Shanghai until the end of March at least, and it has now permanently axed its route from Sydney to Beijing. The very long list of other airlines that have temporarily stopped all flying to mainland China include British Airways, Qatar Airways, Lufthansa, Swiss, Lion Air Air New Zealand, Kenya Airways, Air Astana, Virgin Atlantic, and American Airlines, to name just a few. Uh, And these airlines have all cited either a lack of demand or crewing issues as the main reasons for the suspensions. Most of the Chinese airlines operating to Australia have also massively cut back their flights over the coming weeks and months. It comes as the Australian government bans travellers who have been to mainland China in the past 14 days from entering the country. Australian citizens, permanent residents and their immediate family members, as well as uh, operating air crew, are exempt but they are being required to self-isolate for two weeks after returning to Australia, which is roughly the amount of time it takes for the symptoms of coronavirus to develop. The United States and Singapore are also among a growing number of countries that have implemented similar travel bans. And further changes are very likely as the situation evolves. Qantas frequent flyer Silver members now have earlier access to classic flight reward seats on Qantas long-haul flights in premium cabins. Qantas generally only releases award seats on their premium long-haul flights to Gold, Platinum and Platinum 1 members at the initial release, which occurs 353 days before the flight's scheduled departure date. Silver members now have access to some of these seats from 323 days in advance, but Bronze members will still have to wait to get whatever's left over 297 days before departure. LATAM Airlines has announced that it will leave the One World Alliance on the 1st of May this year, five months earlier than previously planned. 
Once LATAM Airlines leaves OneWorld, you no longer receive guaranteed reciprocal OneWorld status benefits, such as lounge access, or earn status credits when flying on LATAM Airlines flights. You also won't be able to include LATAM flights in OneWorld products from this date, including the popular Qantas OneWorld Classic Flight Reward or the OneWorld Explorer Around the World Fair. But LATAM Airlines will still remain a partner airline of Qantas, meaning you will still be able to earn and redeem Qantas points on LATAM flights. And Qantas will continue to code share on some of their services. We're also expecting the airlines to announce some reciprocal status benefits, so all might not be lost. LATAM has no plans to join another alliance after leaving OneWorld. BP has ended its partnership with Velocity Frequent Flyer, switching instead to Qantas Frequent Flyer. Now, the ACCC still hasn't approved the complete tie-up between BP and Qantas, but they have approved, in the meantime, the partnership between Qantas Business Rewards and the BP Plus program, which is uh, which are both aimed at business customers. Now, if you're a Qantas Business Rewards member, you can earn 50,000 bonus Qantas points by signing up for a BP Plus card by the 30th of April and spending at least $150 on BP fuel within the first five months. And you can earn an additional 50,000 Qantas points by buying uh, 20,000 litres of fuel within the first six months. Qatar Airways has opened its new premium lounge at Singapore's Changi Airport. Located next to the Emirates Lounge in Terminal 1, this lounge is available to passengers flying in business or first class on Qatar Airways or any other One World airline. But you won't get access when flying in economy, even if you have One World Sapphire or Emerald status. There are now five One World lounges in Changi Airport with the Qantas Business and First Class Lounges, British Airways Lounge, and the Cathay Pacific Lounge also, which is in Terminal 4. Meanwhile, Emirates will launch a daily Boeing 777 TAG flight from Singapore to Penang in Malaysia in April. It's another one of Emirates' uh, many random Fifth Freedom routes. And speaking of Singapore, Singapore Airlines will start a fifth daily service from Singapore to Perth in June, which will bring the number of daily flights Singapore Airlines operates to Australia to 20, which is quite remarkable. Finally, Ethiopian Airlines will spend $5 billion US dollars building a brand new mega airport near its home city of Addis Ababa. The new airport will be larger than Dubai International Airport and will have the ability to handle 100 million passengers per year. Ethiopian Airlines has decided to do this because the current international airport in Addis Ababa is simply too small and it lacks the infrastructure to keep up with the carrier's ambitious expansion plans. Ethiopian Airlines is a part of Star Alliance and the largest airline in Africa. It flew 19 million passengers in 2019. But this number is climbing rapidly as the airline expands its network and invests in even more new aircraft. The airline expects its fleet to grow from 119 aircraft currently to more than 200 planes by 2035. And many of the new arrivals are wide-body aircraft. Ethiopian's business model relies on connecting passengers with short connection times through Addis Ababa, and it flies uh, within Africa during the day and then sends its aircraft to Europe, Asia, and North America overnight, and by doing that, it's able to provide very good connections from airports all over the world to many destinations throughout Africa. This business model would fall apart, though, if the airport's hub was unable to handle the flow of passengers, so that's why the airlines decided to take matters into its own hands 
That's what's making news this fortnight. For more regular news, updates and deals, subscribe to the Australian Frequent Flyer Gazette or follow us on Facebook. Well, I recently visited Toulouse in France, which as you may know is the main headquarters of the aircraft manufacturer Airbus. Toulouse is not only the company's headquarters, but it's also where you'll find the final assembly lines for many of its aircraft. And in Toulouse, you'll find A320 family aircraft, A330s, A350s, and Airbus A380s being made, although the A380s won't be um, being made for much longer. Uh, Of course, not all of the aircraft components are made in Toulouse. The parts are made all over the world before being delivered to either Toulouse or one of the company's other final assembly lines where they're put together. And the aircraft are then tested there, and once they're ready for delivery, the customers, being airlines, will come to pick them up and fly them to wherever they need to go. As well as in France, Airbus has production sites in Germany, Spain, the UK, the US, and Canada, where the A220, formerly the Bombardier C-Series, is produced. Um, And there are final assembly lines where the aircraft put together in the final stages for the A320 family in uh, Hamburg, as well as in Mobile, Alabama in the US. Uh, There is or was also a final assembly line for the A320 in Tianjin, China, but this was temporarily closed just a couple of days ago, actually, due to the coronavirus. Uh, now, there's an excellent aviation museum near Toulouse Airport called the Musée Aeroscopia, which, among other things, has an Airbus A380 and two Concords, one of which you can even walk inside, which is pretty cool. Um, and this is also where Airbus operates public tours of its final aircraft assembly lines. Um, while I was there, I joined two of those tours. The first one was the Airbus Discovery Tour, which started off um, by they show you some videos of the maiden flight of the A380. And the guide uh, explains the process of getting an aircraft um, designed and then approved for commercial service. We then got off on a bus and they drove us out to the final assembly line for the Airbus A380. Now, the guy did actually admit that the A380 has not been a a commercial success for Airbus, uh, but he downplayed this a bit by talking about how some of the technology has been used um, uh, or repurposed, I guess, in the development of the A350, which has been uh, a bit more popular with airlines and profitable, um, which is, I guess, true. Um, Now, when I visited a couple of weeks ago, there was only one A380 actually being built um, at that point in time, which was um, painted, of course, in Emirates colors. Now, Emirates has been by far the largest A380 customer, taking delivery of 123 of the 251 A380s ever ordered, or around half of them. But production of the A380 is now ramping down. There are now less than 10 aircraft still on order, and most of these are going to go to Emirates. Um, and the and Airbus will stop making new A380s altogether as soon as June of this year. For Emirates, the A380 has been a great aircraft, um, and of course it's uh, one that customers love, but uh, it's especially good for airlines um, where airports are slot constrained, and of course Dubai Airport is very uh, slot constrained. But other airlines have said that they have to fill too many seats for an A380 flight to be profitable, and that they're just too expensive to operate. Of course, Emirates President Tim Clark retorts by saying that uh, all the other airlines are just using the A380 wrong. Uh, Because Emirates has so many of these aircraft, Clark says, uh, they achieve cost benefits uh, due to economies of scale. 
and I guess he has a point. Most of the other airlines operating A380s have just a small subfleet of around a dozen A380s or less. So they're not getting the benefits that Emirates would be getting with having over a hundred of them in terms of cost savings and, and efficiencies. The A380 is designed to provide airlines with more capacity on routes between slot-constrained airports, and given many of the world's major airports, such as London Heathrow, are completely full, um, and so airlines can't just add more frequencies to these airports, uh, it makes sense they can instead put on larger aircraft. The problem with this model is that it assumes airlines will just continue operating between major hubs, um, and it, uh, you, you know, using a model which relies on connecting passengers through the world's major airports. What we've actually seen in recent years is more point-to-point -point flying between second-tier airports, which has been made possible by new smaller and more fuel-efficient aircraft with greater range than we've seen before, such as the Boeing 787 and, well, I guess ironically, also the Airbus A350. And if you just look at what Qantas is doing, just a few months ago it took the Boeing 747 off the Sydney to San Francisco route, and it's now flying smaller Dreamliners from Sydney instead. But it also has flights now from Melbourne to San Francisco, and from tomorrow, Qantas is launching an additional flight from Brisbane to San Francisco. So instead of feeding all of the passengers through Sydney on a large aircraft, it's putting on smaller, more fuel-efficient aircraft uh, from three airports. Qantas will also start flying non-stop from Brisbane to Chicago in April, something that would not have been economically viable or even really possible before the Air, uh, Boeing 787 came into service. And this kind of route, like the Chicago route, is going to redirect uh, even more of the connecting traffic on trunk routes like Sydney or Brisbane to Los Angeles that where, um, you know, previously if you wanted to go to the US, you'd pretty much have to fly on one of those trunk routes. But now you can fly um, direct to Houston even on United or and, and very soon Chicago among other routes. So, yeah, it's, it's a changing of the times and the Airbus A380 um, was just not the right aircraft, I guess, at the right time. Now back, back to Toulouse, and uh, while I was there, I also joined a tour of the Airbus A350XWB final assembly line. And now this tour, for some reason, is only offered once a week, and it's only offered in French. But uh, luckily my friend Victor, who you'll hear from in just a moment, was there to translate for me. Uh, at the time of my visit, there was an A350 for Cathay Pacific being built, and also Air France's very first A350 was being put together on the final assembly line. I thought the um, Airbus tours were pretty good, and although they're, of course, a bit of a promotional tool for Airbus, I didn't think it was done in a way that was cringeworthy at all. Um, I've also done, as I'm sure some of you listening will have also done, the uh, Boeing tour in Seattle. And, and now I thought that the Boeing tour was really excellent, and to be honest, it was much better organized uh, than the Airbus tour. It's a very well-oiled machine over in Seattle, but it did kind of feel like a huge ad for Boeing, I must say. Just as a matter of interest, I did also do the Airbus factory tour in, in Hamburg a few years ago, and I thought that this was really badly organized. It felt like they'd just kind of thrown together the minimum that they could get away with without really putting a lot of thought into it. So with that in mind, if, if you are in Seattle or Toulouse, I would highly recommend joining either the Boeing or the Airbus tour. Um, although if you're in Hamburg, I probably wouldn't give you the same recommendation. It's time now for a quick break. Coming up next is my interview with Victor, who is a pilot for Buffalo Airways in Canada. Back in a moment. Are you new to the world of frequent flyer points? Or perhaps you'd like some help to ensure you're getting the most possible value when earning and redeeming points. 
Did you know that I offer a personal consultation service through our sister website, Frequent Flyer Solutions? Over a one-on-one Skype or phone call, I can help you to devise your own personal points plan and get more out of your travels. I can also assist you with personalized advice on how to achieve top tier airline status, how to save money on flights, or just about anything else relating to travel and frequent flyer programs. The advice is tailored entirely to your personal needs and questions, and you'll also receive a full recording of the call. The personal consultation service is available for a fee to premium economy and business class members of Frequent Flyer Solutions, and it's complimentary for first class members. For more information, visit frequentflyer.com.au or just Google Frequent Flyer Solutions. I'm currently in Toulouse, France, which is the home of Airbus, and it's also home to École Nationale de l'Aviation Civile, or the French Civil Aviation University, which is one of the largest aviation schools outside of the United States. One of the students there is my friend Victor Babkan, who's agreed to join me on this fortnight's podcast. Victor's originally from the Czech Republic and is now living in Toulouse, but has also been spending quite a lot of time in Canada working at Buffalo Airways, which we're going to talk about shortly. Firstly, welcome to the podcast, Victor. Thank you very much. So the uh, Civil Aviation University is uh, something that intrigues me, the fact that there is a university specifically for this. Um, What do you study and what are some of the other things that um, you can study there? Yeah, I also love this fact and... uh I study the engineer ANAC, which is uh, basically a master, and my major is in air operations and safety. And uh, this is practically the branch uh, with, in which there's the biggest number of students, but we also have uh, different branches for pretty much everything you can do in aviation. So. Uh, there's uh there's a lot of there's a ATC program then there's a pilot cadet program for example now there's a lot of uh students for Air France uh who are going to be pilots for Air France and uh, and yeah and a lot of other masters uh to really have pretty much everything covered from uh, uh making the ticket prices to uh uh, the IT solutions and and everything. So there's really a lot of different uh, different branches. Sounds like some somewhere that I'd be quite interested in studying, to be honest. Yeah. Um, so you're studying in French. You've been working in Canada, and you're from the Czech Republic. How many languages do you speak? So I always say three and a half, because I speak uh, English, French, and then Czech and Slovak, and those languages are very close to each other. Uh, so that's the that's the half. <laughs> Okay. Um, And yeah, as I mentioned before, studying in uh, Toulouse is not actually your main gig. You're also a qualified pilot, uh, commercial pilot. And for the past two summers, you've been working in Yellowknife in the Northwest Territories of Canada for Buffalo Airways. Um, now, Buffalo Airways, for anyone who's not familiar, is um, was made famous by the Discovery Channel TV show Ice Pilots NWT. Is that why um, you wanted to go and work for Buffalo Airways after seeing this show? Or Yes, absolutely. The answer is very simple, and it's yes. I just started watching this show, or I first discovered it in when I was 16, maybe. And after that, I've just spent many years just binge-watching it, and I really, really imagined myself in that company. And... Uh, 
So it's uh, it's really something that I would always wanted to do, fly all the airplanes uh, for, for a living. And Buffalo Airways is one of the very, very few places where you can do that. So I just followed my dream and now I'm so happy to say that I've been able to, to finally do it and that I'm now one of, one of their uh, co-pilots. That's fantastic. Are, are the people, you've obviously met most of the people that appeared on the TV show, are they in real life, are they like they appear when uh, you watch them on TV? Yes, pretty much. And it's, uh, I just have to say that it's uh, really uh, out of this world when you when you go there the first time. And so during six years, I've been watching the show and I've been imagining the, the people, how they are. And now I've been able to see them for the first time in the real life. And uh, of course, it's it's not everything is is like uh, like during the show. Uh, I have to say that uh, Ice Pilots and WT with the sixty five episodes that they've done, they've done really good job at uh, uh, just uh, depicting all our operations. But uh, also have to say that it's still a show, so uh, they're they are making um, uh, it interesting. And they are mostly just putting together uh, everything that happens uh, during uh, many uh, weeks or even months to one episode. So of course that things happen, things happen in every company, and you see all of that in in one episode. So then it might see might look frightening to most of the people, but but it's it's really not. <laughs> okay, I want to talk a bit more about Buffalo Airways uh, in a moment, but firstly, uh, I want to ask um, why did why did you originally want to become a pilot? Yeah, so in my case, it's uh, very simple. Uh, both of my parents are pilots, and uh, I've been so lucky uh, to to have this fact uh, to to have have them. Not only because they are pilots and they could really give me this direction but uh, also because they are the best parents I could ever imagine. And uh, uh, so they've seen that I, I was happy to, uh, uh, or I wanted to follow their tradition, I would say, and also be a pilot. But I have to say that they never forced me, and in fact, they they asked me many, many times throughout my studies if I really want to do that, and if and they explained to me all everything that it entails, and uh, and in the end, I told them that yes, uh, I would like to do that, but this is the niche that I would like to uh, be doing, like flying old airplanes in those places out out north in Canada, and they were just supporting me uh, all this time, so that's been that's been really great that's really wonderful to hear so what did your training uh to to uh train to be a pilot involve so the training i would say is uh, pretty straightforward it's simple i started as a as a glider pilot which is something i would recommend to everybody who would like to start flying uh gliders are are different first of all because they don't have engines of course and it's completely different uh um a different way of flying and also I recommend it because an, an, an airplane with an engine can become a, a glider really quickly so you better you better know how to fly them and then I continued with my private pilot license which I've done in Žilina in Slovakia and then I only went to Canada with this private pilot license so I only started working there as a, as a rampy so-called uh, in the company so <clears throat> I wasn't uh, wasn't flying at all but uh, when they told me that they would like to hire me as a as a pilot 
I, I then moved to uh, the south of Canada, to Cornwall, where I did all my licenses uh, to uh, CPL with uh, multi-IFR rating, everything, of course, uh, under Canadian law. And uh, so then I, then I was able to finally start working there as a, as a pilot. Yeah, so how did you come to be working for Buffalo Airways then in the end? So the process is actually a really long story and I'm so happy to, to be able to describe this story because uh, it has a good ending. But uh, I have to say that there were many uh, moments where it looked like I, I was never gonna, uh, never gonna get that job and never gonna be able to, to get to Canada. So basically I've been trying to contact the company for two years but uh, I've never uh, had any uh, positive replies. And then in the end, uh, I was able through uh, uh, one of the workers uh, just uh, get uh, some more information and then finally be able to contact them more directly. And after I did this, we started the, the whole visa process and uh, that was also very difficult because at that moment I didn't I wasn't a qualified uh, worker so I was going through the um, student program and it was all hanging on a thread many many times uh, and so so just to say it uh, simply in the end it all all worked out it worked out perfectly and it's it's been a dream ever after <laughs> Oh, that's fantastic. And um, yeah, Buffalo Airways is not like your typical airline. Like you're telling me that your mum flies ATR-72s and your dad flies A320s, which is quite typical for, for most airlines. But Buffalo Airways is not like most airlines. Um, what, uh, firstly, what kind of aircraft is uh, Buffalo Airways operating? Yeah, so we operate a wide range of uh, aircraft. Uh, it starts with the DC-3, which is our uh, landmark, I would say, and then the C-46. Uh, so for people who don't know it, you can imagine it's this uh, DC-3 on steroids. It's uh, DC-3 twice as, uh, as big. And then we have the Lockheed Electra. Uh, it's the one from the, from the 50s, so that's a four-turboprop uh, airliner, which we use for cargo. And then we also have King Airs, King Air 100 for air taxi operations. And last but not least, uh, we also operate uh, the 802 air tractors. So they're used for the fire suppression along with the Electros. All right, and which one do you fly? So I currently fly the, the King Air 100. So I'm still just dreaming uh, about flying the DC-3 or the C-46. Uh-huh. And uh, like, does Buffalo Airways operate regular passenger flights or is it mostly cargo or charter operations? And, and where exactly are you guys flying to? So uh, um, when we talk about passenger flights, uh, the only passenger flights that we, we operate now are uh, the air taxi operations. So that would be my, my job actually. So that's on the King Air 100. So that's up to nine passengers, but there are no uh, scheduled flights. So this is all... Uh, flying uh, just the charter charter flying and uh, yeah other than that we, we fly mostly cargo so really what i would say our bread and butter that's uh, flying the, the c46 up to uh, norman wells and then even uh, further up to the mackenzie valley uh, to the airport just like colville lake or uh, uh, other airports uh, up north and uh, 
And yeah, and then we also fly with the Electra, so that's also very specific. I said that we use it for fire suppression, but other than that, we also use it for uh, regular flights, uh, cargo flights uh, to uh, Hope Bay. So that's uh, that's a gold mine up north. And and yeah, and then we have fire suppression, so that's that's uh, very specific, and it's only in the summer season. Mm. So, what's a typical work day like when you're working at Buffalo? It's so it's it's uh, very uh, atypical to a normal uh, work day uh, of uh, of a pilot. So we basically start our day. It can it can vary from seven a.m. in the summer, which is which is great. That's that's very uh, late in the morning actually, uh, to about four a.m. in the, in the morning in the winter. So this difference is simply because uh, in the winter we have to uh, defrost the airplanes. Uh, we have to at first uh, sometimes de-ice them if there is there is icing on them. Uh, but uh, pretty much all the time we have to warm up the engines because those are uh, piston uh, engines uh, which which need to be at a, at a pretty uh, reasonable temperature b before starting them. Uh, and uh, the rule of a thumb is that uh, we uh, start uh, warming them up uh, one hour before flight for every 10 degrees uh, below zero. So when it's minus 40, which is a temperature which, which basically is, is there in the, in the winter, we have to start warming them up four hours prior to, uh, prior to the startup time. And yeah, and then I would also continue on that uh, day. So after we uh, uh, warm up the airplanes uh, and we uh, uh, we start loading them, so that takes uh, about an hour. And then when everything is ready, uh, they they all take off. Uh, so this is um, generally speaking uh, about this flight to uh, to the Mackenzie Valley of the C forty six. And after that, uh, it it really depends. Uh, it depends on whether we have some charters or not. So if we do, that that would be uh, the time when I uh, change that work clothes into a uniform and I uh, take my passengers and uh, fly uh, with them uh, to wherever they want to go. And uh, uh, after, uh, so this would be maybe around lunchtime. And after that, uh, the uh, the C-46 usually comes back uh, around uh, well, it could be up from one to maybe four p.m. So we we help it also to uh, to put it in bed, as we say, uh, to stay overnight. And but there's also one uh, scheduled flight that I forgot to mention. Uh, that's the Hay River flight. So that's uh, basically every morning there's a there's a flight from Hay River to uh, Yellowknife, uh, which takes uh, mail and, and cargo, uh, which is coming uh, down from Edmonton. So uh, this also has to be uh, has to be taken care of, and uh, so we we include that in the morning routine, and then in the evening we uh, we also send the airplane uh, back to to Hay River so that it can be ready there for the morning. Okay. Yeah, fascinating. So you you touched on this before, um, and that's the weather in in Yellowknife and in northern Canada. Um, most people are probably going to be aware that Canada is very, very cold in the winter. In fact, like I've seen, it's been below minus 50 degrees Celsius before. Um, what does um, operating in these kind of conditions, like what challenges does that present for you? 
So it's also very different from what you would uh, be used to here in Europe and or, or anywhere else. Um, the, the cold temperatures uh, are, are simply, uh, we, have, we have to de defrost the airplanes, as I said before, but then it also has some very, uh, very specific things which are maybe uh, uh, for the better, which are better in the in the winter than in the in the summer, and that's for example in in case of there is some some little oil which spills from from the engine, in the in the summer you would have to use special powder and uh, special uh, pads to 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 wipe it, but uh, here in the winter you can basically just fold that. Uh, that spill into uh, a package you would say and just uh, uh, carry it uh, away so uh, that's uh, it, it really uh, in this in these temperatures the oil it's it's more like a toffee it, it's really it's it's really very thick and yeah other than that we uh, we just keep playing as as usual it also uh, i also remember that it makes a different sound because as the temperature is lower the uh, speed of sound uh, gets lower so uh, we we can uh, attain the speed of uh, sound with the tips of the of the plates of the prop uh, and that basically means that uh, during takeoff, uh, the uh, the airplane makes just a whole lot whole lot more of a noise than it would in the summer, so so it's it's noisier, and uh, and yeah. But other than that, we keep flying, and basically our cutoff is uh, forty forty forty, as we say. So that means when it's minus forty at the at the uh, departure location. And minus forty at the destination, and also minus forty in the air. Uh, that's the that's the point when we would uh, we would stop operating. But other than that, yeah, things are all as normal. In in these airports that you're landing at, would there be like ice covering the runways, or uh, are they large enough airports that their runways get uh, cleared of ice, or how does that work? Yeah, I was quite surprised uh, of this fact, but the the runways are very clean and. Uh, Really, the, everybody who's working on the on the infrastructure and on the runways, uh, people are doing really amazing job, and so I've never really had any problem with uh, with the runway, which would be slippery uh, or or due to ice. Now that being said, there are also some runways which are only ice uh, ice strips or ice runways, but I've never really uh, been on any of them, so I cannot really say. But yeah, you cannot really clear an ice from an ice a runway. When and it's the ice which uh, which creates the runway. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so um, what would happen if if Buffalo stopped operating? Like, um, the, I guess a lot of these communities in northern Canada are relying on the airline, right? Yeah, exactly. That's basically the, the the first and foremost thing that we do. We deliver to the northern communities, and uh, so we just uh, have all the food and supplies for for them. Uh, any any day of the year really to uh, keep providing uh, it so uh, yeah and we're basically the ones who have been doing it uh, for the longest time uh, so uh, I really like this fact that that uh, uh, we are working in uh, all those different for all those different customers and but one of them are the, the northern communities that's fantastic um, now, if anyone happens to be in Yellowknife and is interested in, in Buffalo Airways, do you guys offer tours of the, the hangars and all that kind of stuff? 
Yes, so I, I, I really recommend our hangar tours. Um, so you just uh, call in advance, you can find the information at uh, our website. And uh, the tours are free, so that's great. And you really get to see everything you can really touch everything almost and you get to go uh, uh, to, to the hangar and, and see it uh, during um, during a regular workday so there might be people you might recognize from the show and all the airplanes you will of course recognize so so I think it's it's a great uh, opportunity and I don't know about any other company who could uh, who would do that <laughs> <laughs> yeah absolutely uh, I went to Yellowknife a couple of years ago and did that tour and I have to agree is really really interesting and i saw um also joe and mikey and some of the other people from the ice pilots show which was which was really cool and you guys had a really good gift shop too i might add um if, if anyone's uh, listening to this is interested in going to work in um in remote canada for buffalo are you guys hiring yes you're absolutely right uh we're hiring and uh, i have to say that uh, nowadays it's uh, very simple for people outside of canada to, to work at our company. So I really recommend it uh, for people who are passionate as I am and who simply want to fly the DC-3 or the 46 because uh, needless to say that uh, the, we are one of the last, very last places where you can do this. So uh, definitely uh, go for it while you, while you can. Yeah, and certainly not your typical airline. Uh, fascinating to hear about what it's like um, operating in Northwest Territories of Canada. Thank you very much, Victor, for coming on the podcast. Thank you very much for inviting me, Matt. That brings us to the end of another episode of AFF On Air. As always, thank you so much for listening. For more information about anything in today's episode, check out the episode notes where you'll also find a link to the AFF On Air discussion thread and there you can discuss anything about today's episode or ask me a question. And if you enjoyed this podcast, please do take a moment to rate, review and uh, subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you happen to be listening. I'm Matt Graham and I'll be back next fortnight with more news, tips and tricks for Australian travellers. Until then, happy flying and go the stars. Go the stars.